Good morning and welcome to Subject ACT. I'm Nathan Goobler. This morning's episode will be about a poetry collective called Belonging. Belonging is an online publication exploring personal experiences of migration, cross-culture, nostalgia and divided or shared belonging to discuss the strange, ineffable experiences of being a migrant in Australia, I sat down with Dunyas Vatichinen, who is co-founder of Belonging, and also a key contributor, Anita Patel. Dunya and Anita, welcome to Subject ACT. Thank you so much. Thank you. So uh, the first question, obviously, is uh, what is Belonging? And um, yeah, how did it all start? Dunya, you're probably the best person to talk to that. Probably, yep. Well, Belonging is the name of a website that I run with my friend Jasmine Suki. And basically what it is, it's an online publication. So it's like an online magazine or an online journal where we um, gather stories based around migration and cross-cultural issues, basically. So what we're doing is gathering stories written by or created by migrants or people who are families of migrants or have some sort of personal experience of that. And they write or they create works about migration and all the feelings and experiences and emotions that you get from belonging to a couple of different cultures. Mm -hmm. So can you talk, I guess, by way of an example, can you talk a bit about your own life and perhaps what, uh, in what way your experience informed you to uh, organize this uh, collective? Absolutely. Um, Well, that's exactly how it kind of came about. I was um, inspired by probably a thousand different conversations that I'd had with my brother, with my parents, with my friends, particularly friends from different kind of cultural backgrounds. Um, We had just spent endless hours talking about what it means to be, you know, part Australian and part something else. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I'm from a migrant family from Yugoslavia or Serbia now. And um, we all migrated here to Australia in 1990. And so then... And what was the state of Yugoslavia at that point? Was that disintegrating (laughs) at that... It was about two months prior to disintegration. Right, So we were actually quite lucky. We got out, yeah, about two or three months beforehand um, as migrants rather than as refugees, which obviously a lot of people came out of that country as refugees in the years following that. Mm. But, you know, I guess we had a lot of similar kind of experiences to a lot of the people who were, you know, forcibly displaced because while we migrated, we kind of couldn't go back. Yeah. My parents didn't want to take two young children back into a war zone effectively. Mm, mm. Yeah. And so, you know, we were just talking about all these different things, me and my my brother and my friends, and we're thinking, well, what are we? Are we Australian? Are we from somewhere else? Why Mm. is it that we connect so well on these things that is something different, you know? Mm. And I think that's just kind of where it came from. I, I must have had a really good sleep one night because I woke up the next day and I thought, I have to start this. I have to start this project. Mm, mm. And yeah, and I got onto um, my friend Jasmine, who is Lebanese, Australian background. And so, yeah, we just kind of kept that connection going. Mm. Um, I was recently reading the work of uh, Christos Chalkas, who talks about um, mm. the Greek experience of Australia. And um, a lot of the characters in there kind of want to get rid of that my like that foreign um experience and they kind of want to fit into like the australian culture is that something that um you felt you had to struggle with or that you observed with um those around you yeah definitely i think you know growing up 
when I was a kid, I didn't realize that I was different from anybody else, you know. In school, the only thing that kind of set me off for that was that teachers would struggle to pronounce my name. Yeah, okay. So it really wasn't as big as, it wasn't like you'd, ducking into two different worlds is kind of just normal for you right well I think as a young kid that's what it was like you know but as I got a little older and I got a little more aware of my place in the world you know I started realizing that um the food that we ate at home the way that my parents you know would dress us or the kinds of activities that we would engage in were kind of different you know from the kids around me and and in a way, it really was like stepping into a new world when I got home, you know. I remember <laughs> learning the meaning of the word like kitchen towel or um, uh, colander. I still don't know how it's pronounced because I only ever knew those words in Serbian, mm. you know, because no, in had... the house, you know, I only know dinner, come to the table, mm. all this kind of thing in Serbian. That's what, you know, we, we would do. <laughs> and then, you know, when Usually I... in migrant house anything to do with food or kitchen, um, we speak in our own language. It's the most comfortable language, you know, for a mother to use in a house. So kids pick up that, like, yeah. It was funny because I, I remember saying to my son, and, and we're not, my husband's Anglo-Australian, but even so, he, one day he said to me, so what, what's the colander again? And it was funny, it was the colander, you know. <laughs> so I think we always use these kitchen words. <laughs> I was like, that pasta strainy thingy that you... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anita, we should bring you in here. How about you talk a little bit about your migration story? Um, it's very actually. Dunya and I, we when we talked about this, we were it's we're generations apart. I'm I'm Dunya's mum's generation. Um, she's a really good friend of mine. But um, I came. We came in the seventies, and I was a teenager. And Australia then, and I can I can tell you that that no one coming from a migrant background, particularly one where, um, I mean, there was still the white Australia policy when I came. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, You definitely felt that uh, as a teenager you you wanted to hide your anything to do with being a migrant. Obviously you can't hide your colour or your the way you look, but certainly the way we talked. We we quickly picked up um, English and Australian English and you often hear migrant kids where their mothers or fathers are talking to them in Turkish or you know, Indonesian or whatever, and they're mm-hmm. answering back in English. Um, we didn't, yeah, so language, we were, we just didn't want to, um, we just didn't want to engage in, in our own language. And that later in life, you you, you gravitate back to your language and, and now it's a really precious thing for me to have mm-hmm. my first language, my second language, and be able to cross those into those places but so is it just a matter of fitting in like straight away like once absolutely language is the thing that fits you in straight away so you know you know when I came in the 70s we we learned to speak as you know Australian Australian and I'd been brought up for a little bit of my life in England um and my my mother was just so desperately stressed out by our Australian accents you know like because we were were going to speak English and I speak it properly you know and this sort of flattened vowels Australian accent was Mm. really like but but yeah and and all sorts of things you're constantly walking in two worlds uh diasporic people we are always in two two places and I think we've talked about this haven't we Dunya and and I think that's why migrant kids often gravitate to other migrant kids yeah I think that's definitely true I would personally connect to that like yeah. regardless of I don't know continent placement or anything. Yeah, like I that. mean I've Just... got a lot of Anglo friends as well. Yeah. Like obviously, but yeah, it, it is there. There's a kind of understanding of mm. that experience that you have. So you know, even my parents, their friends are like Greek, um, Lebanese, um, Italian. They 
those people understand them and they have a common kind of um, language that they they speak even across you know other mm, you know, mm. across migrant cultures. So yeah, that's interesting and that's kind of what why I really engage with the idea of belonging. Um, when Junior brought it to me or it, uh, told me about it, I was like, yes, we need this mm, somewhere mm. where we can talk about what we yearn for, what we where we feel we belong. Um, you know why? Why we sometimes don't feel we belong, mm. and you were talking about people coming from places, and I mm. think that that pe- some people come from somewhere, very definitely from somewhere. You know, some Anglo Australians are like, "I'm Australian. That's where I come from." You know, I and and of course Aboriginal Australians definitely mm. come yeah. from somewhere. There are people who come from um, anywhere. They, they can they can be from anywhere, and I feel like I'm kind of that person where I you, I can't tell you where I actually come from. I don't know where I'm from anymore. Yeah, okay. Um, and then there are people who come from nowhere, which is you know. And yeah. I think that's one of the things yeah. that we've sort of purposely engaged with on belonging as well. I think there is so much of a pressure of feeling like, oh, where do I belong? I have to choose. I have mm. to be either Serbian mm. or Australian. And I think as I got older, I realized that, you know, when I go to Serbia, I'm definitely not, not Serbian. And here in Australia, I've it's got, a, I've got yeah. a couple of spices that add to it. Yeah. To it. And, you know, I think that was one of, the, one of the strongest kind of realizations that I made was that, you know what, actually, I don't have to choose. I can be in between. I can mm. be sitting on that fence, comfortable as all hell, and just looking at both sides and appreciating the closeness that I can have to both of those cultures. And I think that um, that's, you know, really one of our kind of missions. We want to allow people to be comfortable somewhere in between, you know, mm, mm. something a little bit mixed, a little bit marbled. Mm. Yeah. Um, at the moment in uh, Europe in particular, and also in America, mm. there's this big... Um, you know, big yearning for nostalgia that's mm. finding its way into uh, certain nationalist movements mm. is like, is the nostalgia that a migrant might feel for a country, is that like a slippery slope towards that sort of um, political engagement or are they, or is it just like completely, I don't know, different? Um, it's interesting. Are you talking about um, whether we have such a strong nostalgia for our original culture that is a slippery slope oh, towards just, that or or is you know are we yeah what i mean is like I mean, we're kind of in a time now when yeah. nostalgia is becoming yes. quite a toxic sort yes, of uh, emotion to yeah. indulge in and yeah. yet a lot of people like i think we'd all agree you know nostalgia is an important you know yeah. um way of engaging with our, our yeah. life mm. story yeah. so yeah. i don't know i was just interested what you um I think, think I think nostalgia is a very human emotion, you know, whether it's for a different country or a different time, you know, so many people are nostalgic about their teenage, you know, mm. it's something that we can all really connect on. But I, I do sort of agree, it can be a slippery slope into things like nationalism and, you know, mm. much more closed off ways of thinking, um, you know, discrimination, even, you know, you almost kind of tie those lovely times that you had for whatever reason, maybe you were just younger, you know, yeah. and you think, oh, you know what, actually that, that place that I was in, it's the best in the world. And I don't want to think about anything else. Mm. You know, I think and we can it, bring it back. And we, we can bring it back. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The way to bring it back is to get rid of all these extra people that mm. have now changed the yeah. kind of tapestry of the country. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and of course, you know, you, that, that is the slippery slope, I think mm. when it goes to that, that type of thinking and mm. definitely that that is that kind of um there mm. is that that dangerous thinking going on in america and in europe and you know here pockets well. of yeah, here yeah. Mm. definitely mm. yeah um 
So on the website, uh, the belonging website, uh, food is a big theme Mm. and um, food's ability to um, evoke a culture uh, from whence you came. Can you talk a little bit about um, food's place in remembering (laughs) and and the migration story? Yeah, we sure can. I mean, I guess... Food is is one of those things, you know, everyone, it's almost synonymous with belonging in a way because, you know, it's everyone coming around a table um, and eating things and feeling fulfilled by, you know, this thing that that was created in love. I mean, maybe that's a very kind of family-centric way of looking at it. I mean, it's definitely the way that I I was brought up and I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, the mere thought of of some of the, the... you know, um, dishes that my mum would make or that we would all make together as a family and eat in so much happiness, you know, it um, it really kind of, it brings that warmth to like every day, just the memory of it. And mm. then, you know, when you step back a little bit, you think, oh, wow, it's actually so special to have been able to engage in culturally different food as well. You know, mm. I, I, you mm. know I was able to link that to like my Serbian kind of um, identity, I guess, you know, thinking, oh, I love sarma which are these like uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, pork and rice things wrapped in sauerkraut and cooked in this big stew. And you just love it. Like anytime it gets a little bit colder, it's getting into kind of April, you know, mm. autumn's really catching on. Sarma time. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't wait. And then you realize later on that, oh yeah, it's special. It's something yeah. kind of unique The rest of the other people, other people around you haven't got that for that food, but yeah. for other, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. But I mean, I guess it's also wonderful because we can all engage in lots of different food. Mm. Canberra's becoming such a foodie paradise in a way, mm. yeah. you know. Um, you can have Vietnamese one day. You Absolutely. can have, I mean, even Turkish, just for lunchtime, yeah. Turkish for dinner, you know, Greek for <laughs> after dinner, gyros, yeah. you know. Um, and I think it's a very unifying thing within a family, but also within a community. Mm-hmm. I think food is one of those things that's very interesting because it divides all migrants from whatever culture so and divides migrants from Anglos. Okay, because I and and it fairly or unfairly, mm. the one thing that you'll find, especially among my parents um, who are now in their eighties, but even older, my even possibly even Vesna and me who are in mm. our fifties, the one conversation we'll have is, oh, you know, Anglo's eat different to us, eat differently to us. Migrants tend to have this thing about our food and hospitality and cooking and mm. you know, and we and we're like, oh, you know, and these people they. They don't, they don't cook like us. They don't. And so it's an interesting one because mm. I'm working with a group of women at the moment in, in a, another project called Mother Tongue where uh, Dunya's mum's in that. And um, so there's a Serbian, there's me, Indonesian, Indian, mixy, Malaysian background. And um, then there's um, an Azerbaijani, Iranian and a Chilean. And it's that's the thing. We Food is the thing that we, you know, that brings us together mm. um, and we get it, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I understand it when I go to uh, a house of another migrant. I understand the whole food culture in a way that possibly Anglo culture, and I, as I say, I'm married to an Anglo-Australian, mm. that was always, that, that was a culture shock to, to, yeah, to, okay. to, to go into it. You know, and I think we don't see it from that subverted point of view. Mm. Yeah, and Everyone yeah. was like saying to him, oh, you know, when you have to go and eat, or you live in their background, it's it's going to be different. But for for us, 
marrying into Anglo background, it is very different, mm. you know. So, so that's an interesting one. Yeah, food is mm. is a and very. And it's funny the, the point that you raise as well, because you know I was talking about food when I first started talking about it. it I was saying, you know, it's we, we're all around the table and we're all yeah. just eating so much food and there's all this kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you know that's something that's just within my family or just you know in in my culture or something. Yeah, no, the yeah. migrants, we yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Asians <laughs> and Europeans. I think it's and Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern have a huge yeah. culture of hospitality and yeah. food and yeah. overcooking. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Subject ACT on 2XX 98.3 FM, your people-powered radio station. I'm Nathan Gubler. The program is Subject ACT, and this morning we are talking about Belonging, which is a poetry collective uh, primarily focused on migration stories. Uh, I am interviewing Dunya Svetichinen, who is co-founder of Belonging, and also a key contributor, Anita Patel. I wonder if you relate to this. When I went to Switzerland, my surname's from uh, Switzerland. My grandfather was Swiss. Um, when I went there, I felt like, or like, even though I couldn't speak the language or anything, you know, the culture kind of clicked with me. Like, uh, and I really don't have <laughs> a lot on. to do with Swiss yeah. culture. Like, mm-hmm. is that similar? Yeah. Have you heard similar stories? Oh, well, I have a similar story myself. Yeah, okay. Um, so <laughs> I remember, I mean, I was pretty lucky, you know, my parents and my family, we were able to kind of go back fairly often to, you know, the Balkans. We have family from all over the Balkans, not just Serbia. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I always had some sort of a kind of connection to it. But at the same time, I never lived there. There, you know, mm. and so um, it was only when I was about 21, 22, I decided I'm going to take a semester off uni. I was just finishing off my uni degree then. I thought I'm going to take a semester off and I'm going to live there because I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. And I was walking around and I was finally doing that thing where I'm living there. I've got a routine. I'm waking up. I'm trying mm. to get to. It. I even worked there for a couple of months. Um, and then there was this one time when I was sitting, when I was walking through a park, and just this enormous feeling of, oh my gosh. These are my trees. These are the trees that my my, my, my family, my yeah. heritage walked around. These are the trees that my family mm, planted, you know. Something just washed over me and I felt this immediate kind of sense of, wow, this this just fits right. This wow, is, yeah. You know, and it was such a strange thing. Yeah, I kind yeah. of was like stopped and I was like, what is this? These aren't my trees. I've never seen these trees in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet, you know, I just felt like I was home yeah. in a way. Yeah, that's that connection. But I also feel country. that with Canberra. <laughs> 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 I'm kind of yeah, I know. <laughs> it's an interesting. It's just an interesting thing mm-hmm. that that does happen. Mm-hmm. And in India, because I actually uh, my father's Indian, but he's from uh, Kenya. Uh, he's an East African Indian. They so, but we did have as, as a child. We had about three months in India, um, and so, but I've never been Indian. My, my mother tongue, my language is Malay, you know, my, that's mm. my mother's language. Mm. And so, but we went back to India and it was very strange because mm. you do get that feeling because my face is Indian mm. and people would recognise me. Yeah, okay. The first mm. time in my life, somewhat, people n- knew who I would, like, could see my face yeah. <laughs> and say, oh, you're Gujarati, yeah. you are, you know, because mm. I look specifically one type of Indian. So, uh, Anita, uh, you brought um, a piece, well, part of a piece uh, to yeah, read just, on yeah. today. Can you talk a little bit about it? Um, well, it's okay. This very same daughter, she's uh, my quite bohemian, slightly hippie-ish daughter, but she lived in Broome for a, a few years with her family and um, we would visit her in Broome, which is, you know, as you know, in the very tip of northwest Australia. Um, and so I was part of the Broome community. I'd go there for weeks and weeks and weeks. And um, I just was, it was quite an extraordinary community because 
it was that moment in Australia where I went somewhere and I went, I've come home. This is my, this is the part of Australia. Like I love Canberra, um, but this year I know why this country feels like home for me. And basically um, in that part of Australia, Indigenous and Asian Australia really closely linked because of the pearling industry that went on where they took got pearlers from Japan, from Malaysia, from or Malaya as it was then, or Indonesia, and so they had lots of Asian, and they were very, and indigenous pearlers who were all very badly used by pearling industry. Um, and it's not dominant. Anglo Australian Anglo culture is just totally not dominant in Broome. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's the one place in Australia where I would go and see lots of faces like my face or, you know, like... And not many, fa- not many Anglos. Mm. And um, in fact, when the White Australia policy came in, well, you know, m- back in the day, they had to exempt Broome because otherwise they couldn't, nobody could have lived there. So they sort of said to the Asians, you ha- all have to go and live on boats uh, off the harbour, but they didn't. So, Because right. um, <laughs> otherwise they couldn't have run their pearling industry. <laughs> so the whole place. So, um, so, yeah, so when I went to Broome, I felt this immense sense of belonging and I had never felt that in any other part of Australia because um, I also heard Indigenous first Australians speaking my language, Malay, because oh, okay. there's a connection. They, they've had it for so long there, that connection with the Malay Peninsula and the, the in, sorry, the Indonesian Peninsula, mm-hmm. uh, archipelago and the Malay Peninsula. And they, they were eating our food. They were singing my, the songs I grew up with. And that was profoundly moving. And I just became sharply aware that I was meant to be in this country mm. when I was in Broome. So that's where I thought my belonging uh, was. And I'm very grateful to Broome for making me feel that. So, yeah, it's basically that's, that was what led to this little, little story. Great. So, yeah. So did you want me to? Yeah, go for it. So this is Broom's story, Sweet Songs, Yaru Seasons and Shared Worlds. I have brought home Broom tunes on a CD, tunes as joyful as scarlet hibiscus and as melancholy as the last lick of terracotta sun slipping into the cobalt depths of the Indian Ocean. Tunes that smell of salt water and fallen frangipani. Tunes that take us down streets of a blended history where past and present dance across cultural boundaries and indigenous faces are labelled with Asian names. This lively mixture of music is performed by Stephen Bumba Albert, a legendary indigenous entertainer. He sings songs which tumble me back to the sound of guitars and ukuleles played by my Eurasian relatives on tropical verandas in Malaysian twilight. As I listened to Bamba and the Pigram brothers performing at a wonderful outdoor event, A Taste of Broom, I remember the easy voices of my uncles, aunties and cousins singing songs redolent with Polynesian rhythms, sweet harmonies and lyrics that rolled and spilled in and out of languages from English to Malay to Portuguese. I hear the echo of their music in Broom, a place where Indigenous and Asian Australia muddle along in a vibrant shared history. And the account of European settlement is tacked loosely around the edges of a much more complex tapestry of mingled cultures. At a taste of broom, I talked to an old Malay man who came here 60 years ago from Singapore. He cooks chicken curry at local events. In a nearby stall, one of the last Indonesian pearl divers grills delicious satay for queues of tourists. 
Later, I watch a grainy black and white film of a young Malay pearl diver putting on a diabolically heavy mask before dropping into the Arafura Sea. The indigenous musicians sing the poignant Malay song, Salamat Tinggal My Nona Manis, Farewell to You, My Sweetheart. Salamat Tinggal My Nona Manis, Don't Forget, Jangan Lupa Kepada Saya, For in my heart I'll always think of you, Saya mau mimpi kepada sayang. Forget not me, I'll come home to you from the Arafura Sea. Broome is a place where Asian Australians feel like they have come home. Everywhere in this town, we see the colourful footprint of a marvellous, rich, blended history. And at the centre of this Asian Malay sits Yaru culture. Yaru language is taught in government primary schools and the Yaru Cultural Centre is a tranquil haven, which is well worth a visit. We attend an outdoor assembly at Cable Beach Primary School. The turbulent multicultural history of this purling town is there in the faces of children, parents and teachers and in the enchanting role of broom surnames Hamaguchi, Matsumoto, Bin Saleh, Bin Omar, Pigram and Fong. Indigenous culture is palpably present on the walls of the school. Here we see the six seasons of broom represented in Yaru language. Magabala Bookshop, which publishes books by Aboriginal writers, glows like a brightly coloured fruit in the heart of town and reminds us that there were stories in this land long before Europeans set foot here. Towards the end of my visit, I catch up with the wonderful Bamba at Broome Markets, where he says to me with a twinkle in his eye, we did multiculturalism in Broome a long time before it was mentioned in the rest of Australia. He is absolutely right. In Broome, I feel my feet sink firmly into the ancient red earth of a country where first Australians sing heartfelt songs in the language of my Asian ancestors. And my grandchildren learn to speak beautiful indigenous words. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks so much, That's Anita. Okay. <laughs> um, what more can we add, really? <laughs> that um, was one of the uh, that was one of the original eight pieces that were published on Belonging, and we were just so thrilled to have it on there. Yeah. Anita has such a wonderful poetic kind of prose, and it's just such a such a pleasure to have it on there. Um, I've got to go to Broome now. Sounds, <laughs> you have to go to Broome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> sounds unlike anywhere else in yeah, Australia, really. It yeah. really transports you there, doesn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much, Dunya and Anita, for coming into Subject ACT. Can you give the listener uh, just the details on where they can find belonging and even submit their own pieces? Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Um, our website is www.belongingmag.com. And um, we would absolutely love to get contributions from there. A big thing I'd like to say is that our site isn't just for people who are as good as writing as Anita is. <laughs> it's for everyone. And we really try and capture the whole spectrum of the migrant or you know refugee or just somewhere in between um, experience. We have a number of different categories that you can submit your work in. Um, we have written pieces, so that's, you know, thoughts, um, stories, memoirs, a little, you know, extract from, I don't know, something that, that, that happened to you the other day at the shops and it made you think about where you came from. Our next category is poetry. 
So we very much encourage poetry um, in any language, and that goes for the other written um, uh, category as well. Um, we love, you know, long poetry, short poetry, <laughs> poetry that rhymes, any of that. Um, and our third major kind of category is visual pieces. Mm. So we love illustrations, artworks, also photography. Um, anything that kind of evokes a feeling of, you know, where the person's come from and what, what that means to them um, is, is fantastic. And we very much encourage our listeners to, to think about their own space and their own place in the world and how, um, you know, they might want to share that with us. Mm. We're, we're a very welcoming and, and you know, <laughs> kind community. Do you, have, do you have a section now I, I noticed uh, like food and... That's right. Some, yeah. So that's... You could you can put a recipe on there, can't you? Just a yeah. recipe from your culture that you might want to talk a little bit about. That, that's right. You know, yeah. Something like that. So it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if it's something that speaks to your heart. Or, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We actually <laughs> thank you for reminding me. We we added a a, a, a fourth category recently in the, in the mm. past few months, I think, and it's called folk and food. Mm. And what it is, is is looking at food and any other kinds of kind of. Um, tangible practices that people engage in that is reflective of their culture. So whether it's food, and yes, we, we very much welcome recipes and little reflections about that, um, or it's something like folk dancing or, you know, costume. painting or costume or calligraphy or things like that. There's amazing Persian callig- calligraphy and Japanese, obviously, that we would love to see. Mm, and mm. that is going to be coming up on the site soon, hopefully. Oh, great. Um, yeah. And so, you know, any really anything. We're, we're trying to capture anything that um, that inspires that sense of, of, of valuing and loving your culture and, and loving the mix of cultures that it is. It doesn't always have to be from somewhere else. It can just be something that... You know, it could be the first fish and chips that you cooked when you came as a migrant, you know? <laughs> Give us the yeah. recipe. We'd yeah. love to see it. Yep. Dunya and Anita, thanks so much for being yeah. with us here on Subject ACT. Thanks, Thank Stephen. you. Thanks so much. <laughs> That's all we have time for this morning on Subject ACT. You can find us on Facebook and also on SoundCloud where you can find this and other episodes in podcast form. Also look for us on the iTunes store. Stay tuned for more quality programming on your people-powered radio station, 2XX 98.3 FM.